hope you're enjoying it. I am as well. Our passage can be found in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. That can be found in your bulletin or, of course, in your Bibles. Colossians 2, chapter 6, verse uh, uh, 6 through 15, 2, 6 through 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word of the Lord. Well, March Madness is upon us. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, we're talking about the NCAA basketball tournament. I don't know if anyone's kind of bleary-eyed. There was kind of some late matches yesterday, but I watched the Butler uh, game against Florida. Did anyone see that? Fantastic. Alma mater of Dr. Ryan Pribble. How about that? Fantastic. March Madness. You know, I always fill out my, uh, you know, I take my draw and I fill out my 64 or whatever it is now, bracket draw. And by about now, if you were to look at my draw, there's red all over the place because there's all these upsets and the thing's just, it's just broken. But it's just so fun to be a part of that. Well, I had something break today at the, uh, break this week at the Rodriguez house. I came home, I think it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, I went to push my, my garage door, nothing happened. I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? I push the garage door, nothing happens. Open up the, you know, I get out of the car, I've got my garage door, I hear a hum, but the door isn't rising. I'm going, what's going on here? So I walk on in. Now, I'd had some problems about a couple weeks before where I'd push the garage door, and it would go up, and then it would stop. So I did what everyone else does. I turned that little knob that gets more pressure, and the thing you know, would go up, but now it was dead. And you know how the, the wire and the string, all the strings everywhere. And I'm going, oh, no, there's problems here. And I, you know, I'm going to share about how I fixed that garage door, but I saw that analogy and I thought to myself, you know, that's a lot like life. You push the button, nothing happens. You hear the power, you know it's in there somewhere, but when you want to get it to go, nothing happens. See, I think that's kind of like how our Christian walk is. You know, you come into a church service or you read a passage in the Bible and you can feel the hum. You can feel the power, but somehow there's some sort of disengagement. What's in here isn't quite getting into here. 
And so we live these lives that are so weak when we read about lives that are so powerful. Where's the disengagement? It's like my garage door. I can't quite figure it out. Wouldn't it be great if we knew how to put our Christianity into gear? How we were able to take what was in here and translate it into the victorious life that we're called to live. What if we had God's power to love our families, to love our kids, to be able to be patient with them? When we're kind of out, we had that extra juice. What if we were able to live with integrity, do the right thing in our office, stand our ground when we needed to, swallow our tongues when we needed to? What if we had that supernatural power to engage what's in here into our lives? See, that's what this passage is all about. This passage tells us the secret about how to apply the energy of the Christian life. And here it is. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The secret is this. To daily live the victorious life, we must daily depend on the victorious Christ. Well, how do we do that? How do we daily depend on the victorious Christ? I think there are three things that we need to get through to understand this. The first is we have to understand the victory that we already have received in Christ. But then we have to understand the daily victory that we now must achieve in Christ. And then finally, we need to finally understand the counterfeits that we must avoid in Christ. So the victory we've received, the daily victory we must achieve, and the counterfeits we must avoid. Let's take these apart piece by piece. First, the eternal victory we've received in Christ. We see a clue for how we're supposed to live this victorious Christian life in the first verse, <clears throat> which says, by the way, I have a cold, so if I cough and it's really loud, I, I apologize for that. First verse says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Right away, we see that there's a comparison going on here. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. In other words, there's no way we can figure out how to continue to live in him until we fully grasp how we have received him. And this passage tells us how we received him. If you look in verse 11 and beyond, we see that something has occurred in a Christian that's more than simply an assent to follow Jesus Christ. It's more than receiving some information about Jesus. It's actually a transformation of the whole self. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. See, this passage is saying you used to be dead. You used to be spiritually dead. Anyone ever walked into a cemetery? Not a lot of people moving in there, are they? It's saying you used to be dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. What was it that made us dead? It was our sins and furthermore the uncircumcision of our sinful nature. That's what kept us dead. Now we're all familiar with circumcision. And without getting too graphic as to what it is, it's, it's the removal of flesh. It's the removal of skin, the removal of something. And if you'll remember, this covenant of circumcision was given uh, to Abraham in Genesis 17, I believe it is, 
where Abraham took, uh, God took Abraham and told him, I'm going to make you special. And I'm going to make a whole nation out of you. Even though you are unclean, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you special. And the symbol of that is going to be that you're going to circumcise your males. You're going to cut off that flesh to symbolize a removing of impurity. Well, this passage is saying that the problem was deeper than just a piece of flesh. It was your entire sinful nature that kept you dead. This sinful nature had to be removed. Without that circumcision, no life. But what does it say in verse 11? In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. See, that old nature had to be circumcised. It had to be cut away for man and woman to live again. And we see here that the circumcision was done with Christ. How? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. See, Christ was the circumciser and the cross was the knife. It was Christ taking the cross, taking our sinful nature, cutting it away and bringing it to himself and dying on the cross that took it away, being buried with him in baptism and raised again in him. See, when Christ died, you who have faith in him died as well. You were witnessing your own death in that process as well. When Christ rose, you arose in him as well. And so we discover something, that it's in Christ that we have this new life, but this new life is inexorably tied to Christ. Notice these words, buried with him, raised with him, alive with him. It is in him that it is possible. There is a new life that has happened for us who believe in Christ, but it is in him. You see, there's no me in Christianity. There is only we in Christianity. You cannot see yourself apart from Christ. There is no me. There is only we. Weehawken Police Captain Michael Avaletta can tell you exactly what he did on his weekends off from the police academy over 25 years ago. He went home to visit his infant half-brother, Vincent. Those visits and the police motto, protect and serve, must have rubbed off on Vincent because 21 years later he joined Michael a captain in the Weehawken Police Department. At that time, Michael was in poor health. Eight years ago, Michael had discovered that he had kidney disease. And over the years, Michael's kidney function got steadily and rough, worse until roughly seven months ago, he started on dialysis. The ultimate goal, of course, was to obtain a kidney. But in a state where the average wait is seven years, a quick solution didn't seem to be a part of the plan. Michael would have to stay on dialysis until it was his turn. Yet there was the matter of time. Doctors say that the average person in his age only lasts 10, maybe 11 years on dialysis. Vincent, his younger brother, half-brother, knowing the problem, pushed for testing. And when Michael finally gave in, he didn't know how positive the results would be. He had always considered Vincent his brother, but the fact was that they were half-brothers. Luck has it that it was a perfect match. God was looking out for us. A date was set, and on February 22nd, the, the, the trans, uh, transplant was performed successfully. 
It is unbelievable that he would step up and do it. It's such a selfless act, Michael said of his brother's decision. How do you repay someone who steps up like that? I can't even put it into words. Vincent is just as appreciative of the opportunity. I felt great. It's amazing how by donating a body part to someone you love that they can get a whole new outlook on life, Vincent said. He can go back to how the things were before he was sick. Michael agrees. He gave my whole life back. See, we had a problem that we were uncircumcised in our sinful nature. We had a death sentence that was over us. We were on dialysis, and it was only a matter of time. But praise be to God, Christ is a perfect match. And Christ came and donated not just an organ of himself, but his very life. As Christ went down to the grave, he took that sinfulness and he gave us a new life. That we rose, that we might have new life together in him. See, Michael and Vincent are tied together. Vincent is in Michael for the rest of his life. And so is Christ in us. There is no me in Christianity. There is only we. So friend, how do you view your Christianity? Is it something that happened in the past? Or is it something that exists today? Was it simply a transaction that occurred? I said a prayer, I checked a box, I walked down the aisle? Or was it a transformation of your whole self? See, Christianity is more than just a part of your life. Christianity is your life. And so we can no longer view our life in Christ as an abstraction. We can no longer marginalize or minimize what has occurred in Christ. We must recognize the indwelling presence of Christ because Christ is our life and we are on life support. This should cause us to overflow with thankfulness. Christ's presence should always be our cognizance because there is no me in Christianity. There is only we. Well, now that we have understand this eternal victory that we have achieved in Christ, uh, received in Christ, now let's talk about today. Let's talk about the victory today that we must achieve in Christ. Verse 6 tells us, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. How we have been saved is how we are to live. See, we want to make this artificial distinction in Christianity. You know, yes, Christ saved me. He went on the cross. He died for me. I rose again in Him. He did all that stuff. And guess what? Now it's time to get, up, to get to work. He did His part. You better roll up your sleeves and you get to work right now. But the passage tells us that how we have been saved is how we are to live. We were saved by dependence on His indwelling presence, so we are to live that way today. There is no me in the current Christian life. There is only we. And so the scriptures tell us to live in him, verse 6. The passage actually means to walk in him in the Greek. And it's a participle. It means continue walking in him. And then he uses an agrarian analogy, rooted in him. With much fighting, I borrowed one of my wife's uh, vegetable garden plants. We're doing a vegetable garden, and here is a lovely yellow squash. And if I don't bring it back, she is going to kill me. She took a seed and she put it in here. 
and she nurtured it and watered it, and here comes this yellow squash plant. It looks so beautiful, I think I'm going to eat it right now and not even wait for the yellow squash. Where does this plant get its life? It's rooted in the seed. If I was to dig down in there, there's a little root ball in which it's finding its life and proceeding from. See, that's what the scripture is saying, to continue walking rooted in Christ, just like this plant. And then he moves into a building analogy, built up in him, using a construction term, that Christ is the foundation upon which we've been laid in this new life. And as we build our life, the decisions we make, who we marry, where we work, how we spend our money, how we deal with our friends, are all to be built up in Christ. We see here, strengthened in the faith. See, this is something that's supposed to occur more and more as we grow into this life in Christ. Not to be an exception, but actually to be the very rule. Overflowing with thankfulness. What should characterize our life in Christ as we're living this life is this overflowing with thankfulness of this connection that we have with Christ. As Jesus took the preeminent position in our lives as the one who raised us over the power of death, so Christ must take the preeminent position as our life, in our life as one who raises us over the power of sin. To daily live the victorious Christian life, we must daily depend on the victorious Christ. How are we going to change? Think about it. How are you going to love unlovable people? How are you going to be different than the person you are right now in your marriage? How are you going to break through the barriers of the secret sins that we have, of the problems that we never can seem to get over? Is it more stress? Is it more strain? Is it more effort? Or is it more dependence on the victorious Christ? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, when I went inside my garage, I saw that the door wasn't working. I heard the hum, but I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I didn't realize that the spring was broken. Now, for many of you that know, if you look at the garage, there's this big spring up there. And it's the spring that actually does the work. We think it's the motor. The motor just kind of gets it going. And the spring leverages the energy of the motor and starts it up. So the spring is the one that holds and carries the door. Without the spring, the door is dead weight. So this door is weighing about 250 pounds, but every other time when I've lifted the door, it hasn't been a problem. So I disengage it from the motor because I think the problem is the motor, and I get my hands under there, and I lift, and it doesn't budge. Now I'm getting a little bit mad here, okay? I got to get the door up because we got to get to lacrosse practice. The car's right there, so I get a little bit more leverage, and I push, and it doesn't move one bit. Now I'm ticked. Now I'm mad. I'm going to lift this thing. So I get my best sumo wrestler position. You know, you've got to get underneath that little ledge. It's about 250 pounds, and I push with all of my might right about here. And that's it. See, I couldn't lift that door. Now I could try harder. I could think positive thoughts. I could kick the door. But the simple fact is I'm not going to be able to raise that door on my own. I had to get my son out to help me get that door up. See, I had a choice there, and I made a decision. I'm calling the repairman. <laughs> Thank you. The repairman comes out, ah, oh, it's your spring. It's obvious, you moron, it's your spring. 
comes out 16 foot spring and for the low low price of $220 boom my garage is back functioning again he says all you got to do is go push push the button and up it goes now I've got a decision I could either go push the button or I could go back to trying to work the door what did I do I went back to trying to lift the door why pride 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 See, isn't that the problem with us? The problem is not whether the power exists in life. The real question is, are we going to use it? But we want to do it our way. You ever see that? Anyone have kids? Kids, you can see it right there. I want to do it my way. And so they're working at it, working at it, when you with one finger could take care of it right there for you. See, that's the problem. We have a choice. We must live the same way that we are saved. My question for you is this, where is the source of your strength? Where is your power, your vitality, your wisdom? See, all of us have one of these. One of these right here, a battery that we draw upon to live this victorious Christian life. Well, you may say, look, Carlos, I'm a strong person. I'm doing well in my career. I'm healthy. You know, I'm a self-made guy. I could lift that 250-pound door. And maybe you could. But what happens when a 300-pound door comes your way? Now, you may say, oh, that's never going to happen. Trust me, it's going to happen. And everyone here with a little gray hair is shaking their heads because they understand. Because sooner or later, the pink slip's going to come from the boss. Sooner or later, you're going to get a note from your girlfriend. Sooner or later, you're going to get a call from the doctor. And the weight is going to be more than you can bear. See, if we only trust in our own power, the reality is we'll live small lives. See, we can only lift this far. I can't change. I'm impatient. I can't change. I can't stop eating. I can't stop being cynical. I can't go beyond this boundary. And so we never reach out. We never love recklessly. We never walk by faith because faith requires trusting in a God who can lift a 10,000-pound door. And we're just not willing to do it. See, to daily live the victorious life, we must daily depend on the victorious Christ. Every day, every hour, every minute, we have to make a decision. By whom will we live? By Christ or something else? So when you seek to love your wife, and things are hard, and it feels like a 500-pound door, look to Christ. When you're at work, and that conversation starts, and it's coming around to you, and you got something to say, the 500-pound door is coming, look to Christ. The question is not whether the power exists for daily living. The real question is, are we going to use it? Well, this brings me to my third point, the counterfeits we must avoid in Christ. It was Thomas Jefferson that said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. See, if you want to live the victorious life in Christ, you're going to have to fight for it. See, there, there's this knowledge out there, there's this uh, philosophy out there that the Christian life is easy. Oh yeah, Christian life is easy. All I have to do is let go and let God give me a break. Experience tells you that the Christian life is hard. If you want to live a victorious life in Christ, you're going to have to fight it. 
because there are things at work that seek to unseat your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one, this is a command, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. See, there are these philosophies out in the world that come along that are seeking to draw our mind away from the truth. What do we know about these philosophies? The first is they're deceptive. Sounds right. Looks right. Looks like good wisdom. Generally ex accepted. If I do this, it makes sense. They're deceptive. Who is it? My wife said, Satan always comes wearing a tuxedo. They're deceptive. Second, they're based on human tradition. They're based on established philosophy. They're in the mainstream. They've been around for a while. They're not this avant-garde sort of thing out there. It's something that's being played out every day. It's a philosophy you hear when you turn on your TV, when you talk to your friends, when you read a magazine. They're established. And finally, we see on the basic principles of this world. That Greek actually uh, uh, says something different. It actually means elemental spirits or demonic powers demonic powers. Deep within these philosophies is something sinister. Something that has been rooted, that is designed to do what? To bring you captive. That word bringing you captive is the same in the Greek as carting a military prisoner off to jail. Let's talk about some of these philosophies and how they take you captive. I've just picked out a couple real quick. Here's the first. Man is the measure came from the Enlightenment in the 16th and 17th century. It simply said that it is man, not God, who is in charge of the universe. Man is the measure. And man ultimately will triumph over the environment and the world through progressive efforts in education and social engineering. Man, not God, is the measure. And so we must trust in the efforts of man and not in God. How about this one? If it feels good, do it. Hedonism. Sounds like a great principle, right? If it feels good, man, do it. It's a great idea. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy. Let's surround our life looking for pleasure. More things out to satisfy the senses and the soul. More trips. More TV. More delicacies. More food. If it feels good, do it. What can be wrong if it feels so right? Great philosophy. Number three, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's a big game. Acquire. Acquire, acquire, acquire. More house, more car, more things. Stay ahead of the Joneses. Keep moving ahead of him. If you follow this philosophy, you will experience a victorious life. How about the last one? This one's really come into vogue lately. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it's true. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as it's true. My philosophy, your philosophy, as long as you're sincere, man, it's great. See, that's postmodernism right there. Postmodernism. Everybody's right. Nobody is wrong. See, but if we take that philosophy and we weave it into and say, I'm going to build a victorious life on that, we're going to be in big trouble. See, all of these things have consequences. Man is the measure will take you captive because you'll experience a crushed life when you don't measure up. 
Hedonism will wreck your body and will wreck your heart. Materialism will leave you lost and disappointed. And postmodernism will leave you dejected and suicidal as you contemplate a world where there is no right and there is no wrong. It looks good, but the consequences are devastating. Cumberland County, ABC 11, iNews reports, police have charged a Fayetteville man with impersonating a doctor at the Cape Fear Valley Medical Center. According to investigation report, 25-year-old Daniel Ray Stewart of 825 Branson Street was found in the emergency room posing as a visiting resident in training in October. Stewart was discovered when a physician's assistant noticed he wasn't wearing an ID and alerted the Fayetteville Police Department. In an exclusive interview with ABC 11, Stewart insisted that he had the medical credentials to do the job. He says he's a doctor from the University of Tennessee and a specialist in the Army National Guard out on sick leave. For about three weeks, he shadowed medical teams at Cave Fear Valley Medical Center and gave medical advice to physician assistants in the ER and at accident scenes. He says he responded to three to six calls a day working closely with other medical personnel who were treating patients. My job is to observe and be a helping hand if needed and to further medical assessment, Stewart says. Stewart says he completed his medical training and received his degree last year. I went to the school at the University of Tennessee, but ABC 11 checked with the University of Tennessee and they said they have no record of Stewart completing medical school. The hospital has launched an internal investigation to determine just how many patients Stewart had seen. He looked like a doctor. He acted like a doctor. People, he treated patients. But he wasn't a doctor, was he? And the consequences could have been devastating. See, it was only a trained eye that had the ability to see the real thing from an imposter. See, here's the truth, friends. If you want to live a victorious life, you're going to have to fight for it. The Christian life is not easy. We have a part to play. How? How do we do that? The scriptures tell us, verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Notice, how do we know to be able to spot the real thing from the imposter? Being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. We must know truth from error, genuine from imposter. We must know the word. We must be about this book. In it is the faith, just as we were taught. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, what we're trying to do here at Redeemer is to be an equipping station for you where you can come and hear the preaching of the Word, the teaching in adult education, being a part of community groups, being a part of journey groups, having a book table for you. We don't want to be casual about the Bible. Vince Lombardi put it this way, the will to win is nothing compared to the will to prepare to win. How serious are you about the victorious Christian life? I'll close with this thought. How serious? Is your Christianity casual? Or do you want to experience the victorious Christian life? You're going to have to fight for what Christ has fought for you. And so walk in dependence. 
Give up trust in yourself. Look to Christ. As we were saved, so also we must live. And walk in vigilance. Every day, a victorious Christian is a trained Christian. Know the word. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And take every thought captive to Christ. The secret has been revealed. It's not a technique. It's not a prescription. It's not a principle. It's not a potion. It's a person. To daily live the victorious life, we must daily depend on the victorious Christ. That is the secret to victory. Let's pray.